everybody welcome back to the moving screen nba podcast we are recording this on a saturday morning a rare off day in these nba playoffs i can't wait to talk some ball wes how are you feeling after last night <laughs> i'm uh i'm a little hurt i'm not gonna lie uh i i knew you know being a warriors fan this season this wasn't our best year you know it was a really rough inconsistent regular season um i felt pretty confident after the first round but the heart hurts the heart's definitely a little heavy this mother's day weekend (laughs) uh that was definitely a tough one last night lakers close out the warriors in game six in dominant fashion lebron james absolutely owned that game completely controlled the pace uh extremely classic lebron james line 30 points, 9 assists, 9 rebounds. The near triple-double, non-double-double, LeBron uh, signature stat line. Super efficient, 10 of 14 shooting. Uh, He had that sweet look-away pass late to seal it. A little showtime for the fans uh, as they kind of took control of that game late. Uh, But, I mean, you can't say enough about LeBron, man. He was a... He's now fourth in career playoff rebounds, passing Shaq last night. He's third in made threes in the playoffs, second in assists, first in points, and he has now won the most playoff series of anyone in their career as well. Well, they also threw a stat out last night that he's played over 270 career playoff (laughs) games and counting, and that was more than 15 NBA franchises have played in their entire history. So LeBron James, one thing we know, he lives in the playoffs, um, and it's not shocking to hear him just continue to climb up these records. We already know he's the all-time leading scorer in NBA history. Uh, all-time leading scorer, obviously, in the playoff history. He's going to own just about every single stat possible. No doubt, man. This this felt like old Heat LeBron last night. I mean, people forget that he used to be doing this almost every game for those Heat and those Cavs uh, surrounding those years. He was like, he was so damn good back then. I don't I don't think anyone playing now is as good as you know, Heat LeBron was back then. And then here we are 10, 11 years later, and he's still putting up performances like this in signature playoff moments. Well, he came out the start of this game, and you could just tell there was a different level of focus, a different level of energy and urgency that he knew this was the game they had to have. Uh, You know, they jumped out to, I believe, a 17-point lead in that first quarter. And, man, they just held... They held the, the game from there on out. You know, they never um, relinquished the lead. And it was a dominant performance here by the Lakers. Uh, they're one of the better teams on their home court. Haven't lost a game this entire playoffs in Los Angeles. I cannot wait for this next series versus the Denver Nuggets. We're talking about some of the great players in the league about to battle here for that Western Conference Finals championship. It's going to be an awesome series. Uh Let's, uh, yeah, also the uh, the Nuggets are also undefeated at home. So that's going to be a really interesting, uh, you know, home and home situation. But as we kind of just close out this series against the Warriors, I mean, Anthony Davis in that game five looked like he had like a 
potentially serious concussion, had to leave the game, looks dazed and confused. Apparently he got wheeled out of there in a wheelchair because he was so unsteady walking. And then suddenly, a day or two later, he's perfectly fine, not a concussion, and he puts up a huge 17-point, 20-rebound performance, three assists, two steals, two blocks. I mean, he really controlled the paint, controlled the boards in this game. Another great Davis performance. D'Angelo Russell, 19 points in a little Warriors revenge game. And then our guy Austin Reeves, 23 points, five rebounds, six assists off efficient shooting, especially four for five from three. I mean, those guys just carried this team. It was uh, it was interesting, man. We talked about the home uh, for the Lakers. The Warriors had that horrible discrepancy in the regular season, home and away. They got those two road wins at Sacramento in round one. Maybe it was going to be turned around, uh, but no. The Lakers go 3-0 and in this series at home, um, including, obviously, this easy closeout game. Yeah, they really stomped their opponents here. Uh, you know, the Warriors' issues just continued all year long. You're talking about their inability to win on the road, uh, the numerous fouls. They couldn't you know, help but continue to foul the Lakers and allow them to get to the free throw line. So the issues that were the issues at the beginning of the season never got corrected. They continue to haunt the Warriors. It's a big reason that they are no longer playing. Uh, but you had talked about Austin Reeves. Man, what a come up for this guy. Uh, you know, you talked about the 23 points, six dimes, five boards. I have a bit of a player comp for you. I want to kind of get your thoughts, your opinions. I see Austin Reeves as a bit of a Utah Jazz Gordon Hayward. Curious what you think. I mean, is this a classic white on white comparison or what? I mean, it's sort <laughs> of, yes, but uh, that's kind of how it goes, right? It's a lefty-lefty comparison, a, a white-on-white comparison, <laughs> a, the Euro-Euro comparison. But you just uh, look at look at his game. He's got the ability to hit the three. He's an exceptional ball handler, can operate and run the pick-and-rolls. He can dish and pass. He's got the mid-range jumpers. I don't know. I, I see a lot of flashes of um, upper echelon Gordon Hayward back in the day. It actually is pretty good comparison overall. I mean, this 23, 5, and 6, that's like a perfect old school Gordon Hayward line. Uh, you know, really filled up the stat sheet. I think his what was his best season? It was like around like that 20 points, five rebounds, six assists, something like that, something similar. So uh that's a really good kind of comparison. And then also how they both get to the foul line. Reeves is actually very crafty for a young uh, young guy, uh, gets to the line a lot. Um, he had that crossover on Steph into the behind the back reverse and then just easily gets draws the foul. Uh, he's a lot better than people realize. And what a moment at the end of the first half as Davis gets that huge block at the rim with about maybe three seconds left. They pass the ball up court to Reeves, and he heaves that half-court buzzer beater uh, to put the Lakers up 10 at half. Huge, huge moment as the Warriors had dwindled that 17-point lead you mentioned down to 7, uh, but right back up to 10 with a huge shot there at the half. Yeah, it was a massive shot, not only for the Lakers, but just the momentum of the game. You felt like the Warriors had kind of 
righted the ship just a bit. You know, they were stable. It felt like, okay, going into the half, we would have only been down seven. They would have had a chance to maybe make a quick push to start the third, and it would have been a whole new game, it would have felt like. But that three by Austin Reeves just completely catapulted the Lakers to start that second half. Uh, You know, they hit a couple threes, and all of a sudden we're up 16 points. Uh, But circling back to Hayward, Hayward's best season, that being Gordon Hayward with Utah, 22 points, five and a half boards, four assists. Right, so that's okay. that's right about what Austin Reeves could be. I mean, that's what he did essentially in this game. So, like I said, there's there's a lot of similarities to me. Um, it's going to be a big offseason for the Lakers and for Austin Reeves personally. You know, what are they going to do? Are they going to lock him up? At this point, there's no way that they can allow him to escape. They have to bring him back. Well, I think the number, which we talked about a few weeks back, we were thinking like, uh, or there was like a report about something like a four-year 64 or something like that. That number is up to at least 480 at this point, I think. I mean, the, the, One game in the playoffs in a closeout right here, 23, 5, and 6, that at least made him a couple more million a year um, on that contract, I think. And with the new cap rules that we talked about that especially affected the Clippers and Warriors, this could come into play for the Lakers. We know LeBron is one of the highest earners in the league, and uh, Davis is right up there with them. They don't have a ton of money to play with under those rules, so it's going to be an interesting contract. But I think Reeves is pretty self-aware and knows that he's got something kind of special with his partnership with LeBron. And I think if the deals are close, living in L.A., Playing with LeBron and AD, that's going to be pretty appetizing for him. Yeah, and if you're talking about the ability to win, to go into the playoffs, have a chance to win championships, why would you potentially go to you know a lesser roster uh, where you're essentially just playing for money? You're not playing for, yeah. for wins or championships. That definitely weighs. You know, that's something that weighs on players' minds. Uh, obviously, it's early in the career of Austin Reeves, so you might think that. He can win championships and titles later, but this is a great opportunity right now. Um, he's carved out a role. He's a no doubt starting guard for the Lakers for the sort of, you know foreseeable future. Yeah, so it's a great opportunity for him, man. I, it's he's one of the more interesting contracts this offseason. Um, and it's going to be. I'm really interested to see what that number turns out to be because he's definitely made himself a ton of money uh, this offseason. Um, some of these money issues are coming into play for your Warriors, man. And I think if we focus on them uh, as we kind of uh, do their final thoughts of the season, um, I thought Steph was just absolutely awesome in these playoffs overall. Um, didn't finish great in this one. He was kind of chucking up shots. Uh, the the line, 32 points, six rebounds, five assists, looks nice, but 11 of 28 shooting, um, four for 14 from three. But he did pass Dwayne Wade for 11th most postseason points in history. That's a big, uh, big jump. And I'm sure he's probably not too far behind the top 10 now. So that's uh, exciting. Where would you have Steph in your best players in the world right now? I think he might be up to number three for me at this point. Yeah, he's guaranteed top four. I don't think there's any question about that. You know, with some combination of Jokic and Bede. Giannis and Steph it's just then where where do you have him I don't think he's top two I would say three is is um 
the top end, but he he's right there. I, I don't know if it's a three or four for me. You almost sometimes, um, you know, cut him down just because of his size. All the other guys are six eleven and above. So you think, oh, he's so all of the other players are dominant on offense and defense. You know, Curry gets a little bit overlooked on his uh, defensive prowess, but he's right there. Um, even at the age of 35 years old, this guy is still getting it done. Uh, still one of the most feared players in the entire league. Top four guaranteed for me as far as um, top NBA players right now. And your comment about the size is a great one because the Lakers sought him out. Uh, LeBron, just the the master in the playoffs of matchup uh, situational basketball. And the Lakers did seek Steph out um, at, at, at numerous times in this series. And it worked actually quite well. So uh, that, that might be the downgrade that might put him at four. But I, I just kind of wanted to, you know, shout him out because this Steph was the entire team in the playoffs for the most part. Uh, we had we had some big Draymond moments for sure, uh, but a lot of the supporting cast uh, definitely let him down this postseason. I mean, Clay Thompson, Game Six, Clay did not show up. Uh, it was basically the inverse of Game Six, Clay. Uh, eight points, three rebounds, five assists. His worst career shooting night. Three for nineteen from the floor two for 12 from three and no free throw attempts at all overall in the playoffs under 39% shooting uh, under 37% from three, which some people would be fine with, but for clay Thompson, that's definitely a disappointing number and basically equivalent assist to turnover. So huge, huge disappointment for clay Thompson, especially in this game last night. Uh, and also just not bringing the defensive impact that he used to bring. Yeah, like you said, the 3 of 19, 2 of 12 on threes. Him and Curry, they combined to go 6 of 26 from beyond the arc. Um, you know, watching the game, they had a bunch of clean looks, a lot yeah. of open looks, uh, plenty of opportunities to catch a rhythm and, and to get a flow, and they just wouldn't fall. I don't know if it was tired legs, if there was nerves involved, if the pressure started to mount, but a lot of those shots you're used to seeing the Splash Brothers hit and it didn't didn't cash in last night um you know three of 19 that's not that's not what you're looking for as your second complimentary score you know the Warriors only had two players in double digits last night uh the second one other than curry was dante divincenzo so i think we need to shout him out he really gave a spark off the bench honestly the only other player that looked at all ready to go here in game six uh, but there's still a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions going into this offseason for the Warriors. You know, we might jump in a little later on some um, some of these teams, but we're going to have to see. Uh, but as we know right now, the champions of California, that goes to the Los Angeles Lakers right now. Huge, huge uh, win for the for the Lakers, for sure. They they are uh, performed way better than I expected. I I'm not surprised to see them win this series, although I did kind of think the Warriors had a slight edge, but uh, they played absolutely great, dominant defense, and um, are definitely even better than I uh, realized. Um, last thing on Clay, he's got one year remaining on his contract, $43 million next year uh, before becoming an unrestricted free agent 
the following year. So uh, definitely an interesting contract situation there, along with Draymond's contract situation uh, going into uh, this offseason as well. A um, couple of other guys I wanted to hit, Warriors-wise, Wes, Jordan Poole, uh, his contract hasn't even started yet. He had just seven points, four assists on three of ten shooting in this game. And overall, in the playoffs, just 10 points, two rebounds, three and a half assists. But more importantly, 34% shooting in the playoffs, 25% from three. And we know he's one of the worst defensive players we got going in these in the league right now. What are you thinking about this Jordan Poole performance? This was not the type of performance the Warriors needed from Jordan Poole. You know, regular season-wise, this was a 20-point-per-game score. So this was one of the main three scorers in the offensive engine for the Warriors, and he did not have a good postseason run. Um, he's still an extremely young player, only 23 years old. So we tend to forget how young he still is just because of how quickly he burst onto the scene during last postseason um, and his flashy and, and splashy type plays. But if he's going to make improvements, it's not on the offensive end. It needs to be on the defensive end because there are numerous plays last night where the Lakers were already in the bonus and Jordan Poole just had some extremely bonehead fouls and plays that led directly to free throws, which, as we know, allows the Lakers defense to get set and makes it much more difficult for the Warriors to score on the offensive end. So he has himself a lot to look at in the mirror to try and improve. There's a bunch of drama going around him right now as far as his maturity, um, his commitment to the team, you know, rumors floating around about, you know, are the Warriors going to look to trade and deal him in the offseason? I might pump the brakes on that a bit, but we definitely know He's got a lot of growing up to do this offseason. And if the Warriors are going to be competitive next year and moving forward, they need Jordan Poole. They need his scoring. They need his his burst and his energy. He's an important piece for them. Absolutely. I mean, we he was the um, favorite to win sixth man of the year going into the year. Uh, didn't have quite the year people anticipated. Uh, also started at numerous games as well. But uh, this playoff performance was just shocking. I mean, like you said, they expect a lot out of him. They needed his scoring and, and he did not bring it whatsoever. It looked like a deer in the headlights. Um, I, I agree on the probably don't trade just because his value is about as low as it can get right now. Like I said, his contract hasn't even started. So he's basically starting a four year, roughly $30 million a year contract. Um, going into next season after this performance, uh, it's really rough. So I bet his value is on the low end right now. They would at least need to play him a little bit more to get that value back up. But can I kind of pair this uh, with your thoughts on what happened to Jonathan Kaminga in these playoffs? Uh, for the new year, since January, he's been playing over 20 minutes a game in the rotation for the Warriors. And then in the playoffs, He's only played in 10 of the 13 playoff games, averaging only six minutes in those games. What do you think happened with the Jonathan Kaminga situation? And then kind of pairing that with Poole and the young guys on the team, 
you you had mentioned a possible trade or trade rumors. Do you think any of these rumors will come to fruition for any of these guys? Oh man, that's that's difficult. If we touch on Kaminga first, um, you know the Warriors like to play small. So you would have thought potentially you could have been sliding in Kaminga to a small ball five, um, you know, next to Draymond Green, and that be your front court. But if that's going to be the case, those players need to rebound. And Kaminga has not proven himself to be a consistent rebounder. There's been numerous cases where he's getting zero rebounds, two rebounds. And for someone as athletic and as springy as Jonathan Kaminga and as desperate as the Warriors are to have people on the glass, to me, that's the reason he didn't get minutes, uh, was more for his lack of rebounding prowess. He also is a very young player. I expect him to have a, a rather large role as we move into next season, you know, definitely a guaranteed uh, bench role, you know, one of the eight main players, I'd say, on the Warriors. But it, it was a bit shocking that he didn't even give a, get a crack to prove himself that, you know, it's almost like Lonnie Walker did. You know, Lonnie right. Walker got some minutes, proved that, okay, I can play. I deserve more minutes. Kaminga never really got that opportunity to flourish on the court, nor fail on the court. He just didn't even get a look. So something must be going on behind the scenes here uh, with Coach Kerr. Uh, you know, maybe he's not seeing the commitment on the practice court, you know, in the locker room, in the gym, to see it worthy to give Minga, uh, Kaminga those minutes. Because other players, such as Moses Moody, he definitely got a look, and I thought he played pretty well in his short stints. agree with you on Moody, and um, it's definitely one of the – most promising takeaways of this playoff run has been Moody's kind of ascension into a solid bench role. And I think that can be anticipated. Just like you said, Kaminga, probably a guaranteed rotation role next season. I think we could probably agree with that on Moody as well. So definitely positive there uh, for Moody. For Kaminga, it does seem like there's some uh, locker room maturity type issues going on because if you recall that speech that you mentioned on last podcast, that Steph Curry had this great speech uh, in the locker room, I think a lot of that was directed towards a few guys, in one of which including Kaminga, who were kind of griping about their minutes, about their role. And I think a lot of the tenor of that speech by Curry was like, look, guys, this isn't the time to be you know, worrying about me. It's, it's time to worry about us. And, you know, the playoffs aren't a time uh, to be kind of griping about your role or getting pouty or anything. Uh, it kind of goes back to the Bones Highland situation for Denver. You know, kind of when the team is this successful, when the team is this focused, it's not, you know, even proper to be worrying about individual roles. You just kind of put that work in and, and hope for your uh, breakout performance. Like you said, very disappointed disappointing he didn't even get a chance to to prove himself in these playoffs i mean i mentioned the 10 of 13 games in six minutes those are almost exclusively garbage time uh so i i could i could see why he's frustrated but i think it goes both ways where if you show that frustration kerr is going to get annoyed you know less likely he's going to get the minutes on the court yeah and he talked about it there during the playoffs it's about the team name on the front and not the name on the back and like you mentioned, Curry gave that speech. I believe that was uh, specifically, you know, directed at Kaminga and Jordan Poole. Uh, other guys locked in and, and, you know, 
took advantage of the message Curry was delivering, but it appears like a few of the younger guys, it went in one ear and out the other. Yeah, it seems like it. So going to be interesting. I uh, kind of a, 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 I can see why you would be upset, uh, as you said at the top uh, this morning. I mean, kind of a bummer ending to the season for the Warriors. Uh, any kind of final thoughts on them as we go into the offseason? Well, it's a big, it's going to be a big offseason because uh, the media, for one, has been trying to tear this team apart since the start of the year. They're talking about, is this, the last dance is this uh, the end of the dynasty? Uh, you know they're talking about everything. Obviously, that took place in the off season with Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. Can those two players coexist on the team? Uh, you know, all the discussion around the bloated payroll. Uh, can they afford and continue to afford to play to pay Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and Jordan Poole's new contract? So there's a lot. A lot of noise going around this team, uh, not also to mention in the front office with Bob Myers, their GM, whose contract has has run out. So are they going to bring him back? Um, you would have thought if that's the case, they would have already talked an extension and locked him up. So are we going to have a full shift here in the front office, uh, you know, fresh eyes on this team? We're going to have to see. Um I'm not upset that the Warriors lost this game because this was a rough uphill battle this season. I'm more disappointed in the fashion that they lost because this was not their best effort in game six. I think we can all agree this was clearly not their best game. Um, The Lakers played well, but it would have been a little more gratifying if they lost in a close game and a game that they really were able to fight and show, show their heart. And this game just didn't give us that from the Warriors aspect. I completely agree. I thought, especially in the third quarter, the, you know, competitiveness and how hard they were playing just was not there. Uh, It was a disappointing effort. And basically the Lakers took charge in that run because they were playing as they should playing super hard, super desperate here in a game six warriors did not bring that energy uh, and they, they fell for it. So a uh, huge offseason. Completely agree with you on Bob Myers. For you know, for the listeners, it's it's very rare that a GM's contract expires. Uh, they almost always extend preempt, you know, early, and um, they might kind of negotiate buyouts or or, or things like that uh, when they when they move on. But just letting it expire and then expecting them to come back, uh, very rare. So it's probably at this point likely that Myers is going to be on another team next year. Yeah, and the one team that I've heard rumors on that he could potentially be going if it's not staying here with the Warriors are the Washington Wizards. You know, they have Hmm. an opening in their front office. That's the one team I've heard. I've even heard crazy rumors that, you know, perhaps the Warriors deal Jordan Poole to the Wizards um, <laughs> and, you know, Bob Myers tries to bring him aboard as a star and, and a focal guard over on that roster. That's maybe a bit of a stretch. But like you said, this is really shocking in the NBA that a GM's contract expires and he would return. Typically, if the contract is is done, he's walking out the door. Huge, huge offseason coming up for the Warriors. Uh bummer to end their season last night 
Uh, last thing on that game, who was the old guy in like the Lakers bomber jacket behind Darvin Ham? That guy looked more out of place than like Waldo and where's Waldo? I, I had no idea who this guy was or why he was wearing such an outlandish jacket for like a 60 year old man. <laughs> I mean, Lakers fans were hyped last night. Uh, there was a, a plethora of stars, um, you know, on attendance in the game. We had, uh, you know, the Kardashians in the stands. I saw my boy Tyler, the creator, uh, Michael B. Jordan. I mean, the list goes on and on. Everyone was on hand last night to watch the game in L.A. That's the one amazing thing uh, about watching these games in Los Angeles. The stars show out for the playoffs. Stars always coming out. Yeah, I think Chris Rock was on hand, Jack Harlow. So pretty cool to see. Uh, definitely a showcase win for the Lakers. Their opponent is going to be the Denver Nuggets as the Nuggets closed out the Suns also in dominating fashion in game six. They were up 30 at half. It's the second straight year the Suns have trailed by 30 at half at home in the second round as they were eliminated from the playoffs. Brutal performance by the Suns, but simultaneously amazing performance by the Nuggets. Uh, a convincing series win overall. Three of the four wins were pretty easy, pretty convincing wins. Uh, and the fourth game was that dominant defensive effort uh, in game two. So um, really impressive performance by the Nuggets. Uh, also, their two losses in the series were by just seven and five points, respectively. Uh, I thought game four was one of the all-time great playoff games. That was the Suns win 129 to 124. Uh, we had, in that game, Jokic, 53 points, 11 assists. We had Murray, 28 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists, uh, as the Nuggets shot 56% of the team. And then Durant and Booker, almost perfect uh, symmetry games. Durant had 36 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists. Booker had 36 points, 6 rebounds, 12 assists. The Suns shot 57% to the Nuggets, 56. And, uh, of course, Landry Shaman had that fourth quarter heroic moment, four threes uh, in the quarter uh, to win that one. But... Big time series, fun series to watch, super star power, uh, but big time win for the Nuggets. It was a massive win here for the Nuggets. Uh, they came out gangbusters to start game six, just a complete offensive machine, uh, scoring what it seemed to be at will. Um, and yeah. this is what makes the Nuggets so scary, is that when their offense is humming, it's it's as good of an offense as any in the league. Like their peak, um, with the ability to move the ball, um, you know, run numerous actions, whether it's pick and roll actions, you know, motion. Uh, they stretch the court. They have three point shooting. You know, lethal shooting with Michael Porter Jr. And if Contavious Caldwell Pope is striping, it really stretches the court. Uh, obviously, Jamal Murray, he has that dog in him as people love to say but the the killer instinct to be the go-to guy in the fourth quarter when you need someone to create a shot and hit a shot he might be one of the better players in the league right now um with that cape on but some of these games were just beautiful offensive basketball you talked about game four there from from the suns and the nuggets and no one could stop one another 
Uh, Devin Booker, what a postseason for him. Uh, he really elevated his game. Uh, he's a guaranteed top 10 player right now in the association. Uh, he's possibly a top eight player uh, from what he did. Just the efficiency. He knows his game. He can get to his spots, elevate, and just hit tough shots. Uh, we know the Nuggets were trying to do everything they possibly could to slow down KD and Devin Booker, and they struggled. And it was just a lack of a supporting cast here from the Phoenix Suns. But this this game six loss, this just leaves an extremely bad taste in your mouth once again uh, to see the way they got eliminated last year and then just to allow that to happen again this year. There's a lot of questions right now in Phoenix. There's a lot of questions. Um and it might start with the top with Monty Williams. Uh, I'm not sure how you feel about that. But, uh, yeah, to back up your Booker thoughts, I thought he was just absolutely amazing in these playoffs. I, I would I would even confidently say top eight, as, as you just kind of outlined, maybe even, you know, five five to seven potentially. Uh, but he, he cooled down the last two games of the series. But, I mean, overall, he's been ridiculous in these playoffs, averaging almost 34 points five rebounds, seven assists on the entire playoffs. And that's nearly 42 minutes a game. But despite all those minutes, his shooting has just been out of this world. 58.5% from the floor, 50.8% from three in the playoffs. And he's also been playing solid defense. I mean, he's such a competitor. I think think his defense where – when he was a young player was one of the worst in the league has gotten to like an above average level to the point where that's what's really helping uh, elevate him in those rankings. Uh, we, his offense is so far past what it used to be just because of all of his craft, all of his foul drawing. Um, and, and also just all of the finishes over a contested defense. Uh, he's it, just what he has been doing has been amazing, but yeah, I think he has, perhaps been the biggest climber uh, of these playoffs. Yeah, I would think so. He was already a superstar, and he's just continued to elevate his game there. Um, you touched a bit there on Monty Williams and and you know rumors of him maybe being let go. I've heard that he still has three years and roughly $21 million left on mm-hmm. his contract. That's a big salary to hold if you're going to bring in a new coach. So I don't know if he is going to get the ax uh, from the new ownership. Yeah, I already saw that they made some changes in the front office. A few scouts were let go. Uh, one or two uh, executives in the front office have already been released. So there, with the new ownership, there's definitely going to be some changes. Uh, lots of rumors, as we assumed, swirling around uh, the aggressive pursuit to trade DeAndre Ayton this offseason. Uh, you know, they're going to be looking at options to potentially move Chris Paul before his contract becomes fully guaranteed. One thing we do know, at least here for Phoenix, they have two superstars, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. They just need to find the right pieces around those two. And they could be right back here again next year. Uh, and you would assume so. Yeah, for, for DeAndre Ayton, so he misses game six with that bruised rib area. And you kind of knew when that came out that it was the Nuggets were looking really good because Jokic has been dominating these playoffs and one less uh, center to guard him was just not going to look good. 
Um, he hadn't had a good series anyway. He was benched in the last five minutes of game three, and his minutes were dwindling throughout the series. And for Aiden, this is one of the more disappointing uh, players in the playoffs so far. He's got an ideal center body. Like, that's why he went number one in the draft, was basically he's the perfect physique for an NBA center. And he doesn't use it at all. He's so soft. He doesn't understand what it means to play with force, it doesn't seem like. And he just doesn't have the drive. Like, you compare him to, to like, Giannis, who is kind of known for just how hard he plays and how physical he plays. If... If Aiden had any kind of, you know, mental makeup like that, he would be a completely different player. Uh, but he just fails to show it. So super disappointing for Aiden. Uh, I, I think it was wearing on the team and on the coaches, and that's why he was losing his minutes. But it's just kind of this lack of accountability and awareness by him on what he's missing. It's like we know you've heard it from people. Like, we, you know, we're not we're not breaking news by saying he's you know, not being physical enough, but he just still will not you know will not change his game. So super disappointing, I thought for him. And then you mentioned uh, Chris Paul; he barely made an impact all year. But you mentioned that partially guaranteed contract. He only has fifteen point eight of the thirty point eight million uh, that he's making next year guaranteed. So. Potentially, they could cut bait in the offseason. You know, one team might want to trade for him just purely for a money move to drop that contract and save the $15 million. Um, but we'll see about that. And then he just turned 38 years old, so I don't think things are going to be getting better for him. So those two guys, for sure, just really kind of let the suns down. Yeah, they definitely did. And, you know, the, the part with DeAndre Ayton is that two years ago in the finals and on that run to the finals, you were thinking, okay, this guy's going to yeah. be something, something really nice, a you know, building block for this team and this franchise, this roster, because you saw what he was doing, twenty and ten, no problem. You know, stretching the court with that mid range, um, all over the glass, the competitive spirit, and that's just evaporated. These last two seasons, uh, you almost are thinking, is he sandbagging to get his way out of Phoenix mm. just because of the the very apparent dislike between him and Coach Monty Williams? You know, there's reports that there was um, a bit of a conversation between the two uh, in the the hallway after game six where Monty Williams called in, called him out and said, you fucking let us down. Um, which wow. was apparently, apparently overheard by Lil Wayne, who then reported that to TMZ. So there's <laughs> continued <laughs> continued dialogue negatively here between head coach and one of their starting supposed star players. Obviously, he was trying to get out of that team last year by signing an offer sheet um, with another NBA, NBA organization. It's just too much turmoil out here in Phoenix. They have to move on from DeAndre Ayton. And what it showed is that they can get supplemental um, support from lesser players, you know, most notably, uh, you know, Jock Londale with lesser contracts so they can build better role players around him. So I wouldn't be shocked to see DeAndre Ayton wearing a new jersey next year. Uh, the most common trade I've seen floated out there is DeAndre Ayton for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. I think that's a win-win for both teams if that would be the trade that took place. 
I'd like to see that Halliburton Aiton pairing uh, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. I, it does kind of seem like he's worn out as welcome, uh, especially to your point about Monty Williams's contract. I agree with you. So if they're kind of butting heads that significantly, then it's probably going to be Williams winning out uh, between the two of those um, coach versus player. So uh, definitely interesting. I, I, I'm, I wonder about his value, but yeah, Turner, Turner and heel, that kind of seems like a pretty appropriate value overall. So um, that would be, that'd be really interesting. I'd like to see him with a different kind of style of play. Um, what did you think about Durant in this series and just kind of overall what you saw in the playoffs? Ooh, this wasn't the normal Durant we're used to seeing. Um, he wasn't as efficient as, you know, prior seasons. Uh, obviously, he barely had any time on this Suns roster. They had mentioned he played more games with the Suns in the postseason than he did the whole regular season. So that just shows the lack of chemistry and actual time on the court that they are able to figure things out. Um, and then you talk about, you know, Chris Paul going in and out of the lineup. So there's just no consistency for Kevin Durant on the Suns team this season. Uh, I'm expecting a much more polished Kevin Durant next year. Uh, they were asking a lot of their superstars during these playoffs with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant to completely shoulder the load. Uh, you know, we already talked about it. They pretty much had to go over 35 points apiece to even secure a victory. Um, that's just very unlikely to be able to hold up that type of performance the entire postseason, you know, even an entire series. I think that Kevin Durant didn't have his best foot forward um, in these playoffs, but we know how skilled he is. He's a seven footer who can do every single thing possible on the court. I thought he was playing pretty solid defense at times uh, when asked to try and control the paint and grab rebounds. But there's a lot more questions in Phoenix than the performance of Kevin Durant. Yeah, yeah. For for Durant, I, I to, to the Booker point, I think I have Booker passed him in the in the rankings. Um, but for Durant, he's going to be 35 when next season starts. And like you said, not as efficient this postseason. Too many turnovers. He kind of abandoned the three point shot and. I he was kind of chucking up shots in this series. Um, I'm really worried about his his ability to stay healthy going forward. Uh, in his last three regular seasons, he's played 35, 55, and 47 regular season games. So he's had major health concerns for years. Um, we know he's had kind of more serious injuries earlier in his career. So I wonder if that's kind of wearing on him. And then it doesn't help when you're at, when you're averaging over 42 minutes a game in these playoffs. So I'm a bit worried about him going forward. I do agree with you that the um, lack of continuity made an impact. That's why I said when they first traded for him that I thought next year was actually going to be the big year for this trade because they're going to be able to get some additional pieces this offseason. Um, but I definitely didn't really like what I saw from him in this series and um, a little bit worried going forward. But one one achievement he did, shout out to him. Uh, he joined LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the only players with 75 or more 30-point uh, scoring playoff games. So big-time score, big longevity for Durant. But, yeah, it's a little bit questionable going forward for me. 
There are definitely some question marks, uh, but like I said, to me, the Suns need to fill out their roster. The reason that both of these players had to play 42, 44 minutes of the game is because they had no bench. You know, they gutted the team to get Durant. Um, we knew that was going to be the case, but it was even probably more dire than Phoenix Suns fans uh, thought it would be. Uh, they just had no help. And then to obviously lose one of their other starters in Chris Paul, that bench shriveled up extremely fast out here in Phoenix. Big offseason coming. Uh, I definitely am interested in that Aiton uh, situation. As we move on to Nuggets Lakers, quick preview on that. Last week on our podcast, you said if the Lakers advance, you think they're going to beat the Nuggets. Do you still feel that way and why? I I do still feel that way. Um you know, th- this isn't going to be an easy series. That's a fact. The Nuggets look as good as they have ever have in the entire franchise, um, you know, history for them. But this is a bubble rematch. Let's not forget, this is a bubble rematch with the Lakers and Nuggets. So there is some history with these two teams, some history uh, with LeBron and AD versus Jokic and Jamal Murray. I just like a little bit more of what the Lakers have um, you know, the emergence of Austin Reeves, I think, can really boost uh, that team. D'Angelo Russell is playing some of the best basketball I've seen D'Angelo Russell play probably in the last three seasons. So they have numerous offensive initiators, which I really like. Uh, this is a different version of LeBron James. Uh, this LeBron James versus Aaron Gordon matchup is going to be extremely entertaining. Um, you know, can Aaron Gordon slow him down? Can he stay on the court? You know, will LeBron get him into foul trouble? Because if if Aaron Gordon is not on the court, it's going to be trouble for the Nuggets. I don't know who else they're going to try and put out there to match up on LeBron James because he's going to roast Michael Porter Jr. Um, he's too big and strong, as we saw, uh, versus smaller guards, whether that's, you know, Christian Brown or Bruce Brown. He's going to cause some problems. But the big thing for the Lakers is can they slow down Jokic? Is AD going to be able to to muscle up and play here against Jokic? Um, I think for me, I like the versatility the Lakers have to throw bodies at Jokic. You know whether that's Jared Vanderbilt to really put some pressure and and just be extremely physical with them. You know, is LeBron James going to get a few minutes on him? You know, obviously Anthony Davis will probably be the main main body. I don't know. I just I feel that this. Um, there's something about this Lakers team this year. Once they made those trades, there's a different juice. I, I agree. The Lakers have been really impressive in these playoffs. And like I said, they're even more impressive than I kind of anticipated. I think their defense is outstanding. Uh, but to your point, Aaron Gordon, he's playing an all-time great defensive playoff so far. Round one, he was guarding guys like Rudy Gobert and Carl Towns. And then in round two, he's basically locking down Kevin Durant. And a big part of the reason why Durant had a, a low efficiency series. Aaron Gordon has been outstanding all year, especially defensively in these playoffs. And then Jokic, Jokic on the playoffs is averaging nearly 31 points, 13 rebounds, and just under 10 assists per game. And that's just under 38 minutes per game. So he hasn't had to you know, go into the... Booker Durant, you know, 42-ish minute, you know, territory. So he's he's still pretty fresh. He's averaging 55% 
from the floor and nearly 48% from three. Ultra efficient. He joined LeBron and Russell Westbrook as the only players to average a 30-point triple-double in a playoff series uh, in this series against the Suns. And he's only the second player in NBA history to have, in his first 10 playoff games of a year, to have 300 points, 100 rebounds, 75 assists. Only Oscar Robertson has done that. And that was obviously many, many years ago. So Jokic is putting up historic stuff. And I actually like this matchup uh, more for the Nuggets than the Warriors matchup would have been. I disagree with you on this one. I'm going to kind of be a little aggressive here. I'm picking Nuggets in five in this series. Whoa, that is aggressive here. Um, Yeah, the Nuggets is, uh, Jokic and the Nuggets are, it's not, this is not an easy matchup at all for the Lakers. Uh, Jokic is playing at the top of his game. Uh, The Nuggets right now are playing at the top of their game. You know, they're beaming with confidence, especially uh, the way they dismantled the Suns here late. But it's a much different matchup. Uh, The Lakers, the one thing we do know about the Lakers, they punish teams in the paint. And one thing we do know about the Nuggets, they have zero rim protection. They get demolished in the paint. So that's a big reason I like the Lakers in this matchup, their ability to drive, to get to the hoop, to get to the free throw line. Hopefully then, similar as they did against the Warriors, set up that half-court defense. The Nuggets, that's the big concern for me. You know, will Jokic be able to continue to stay on the court? Are they going to get him in foul trouble? Because if he is not on the court... That's going to be problematic here for the Nuggets, but I don't expect this to be anything short of a spectacular series. Uh, we got some superstar players, uh, you know, matching up here with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Jokic, and company. I can't wait for the series to get underway. Yeah, it's going to be awesome, and they did such a good job on the schedule for these a conference final series. They're alternating every other day, West and Eastern conference, same time every night. It's just a pure showcase game every night uh, for as long as these two series go. So that's going to be awesome to watch. Um, but yeah, for, for Jokic, I, I think the foul trouble is a good uh, topic for both teams. It's going to be a Jokic versus Davis foul trouble uh, monitoring. I think it could affect maybe two of the games in this series, depending on which one of those two guys might have foul trouble. But um, I, I just think that the Lakers, they won the series against the Warriors because they controlled the pace and dominated in the half court game. And they're not going to be able to do that against the Lakers because I mean, I guess the Nuggets because the Nuggets love that style too in the half court. Like you said, Jamal Murray has had a whole different swagger about him in these playoffs. He's kind of in the media brushed aside. Like he's like, why are people even talking about this? We're the one seed. And I think people have been disrespecting the Nuggets throughout about their one seed. You know, I, I people kind of took their last couple of weeks of the regular season way too seriously when they basically just tanked that those weeks because they had already had the one seed locked up. So they really didn't care about those games, didn't want to get hurt, wanted to rest up. So I think people took way too much value out of that. Um, I think part of the reason might have been kind of the MVP watch, but it was clear the Nuggets didn't care much about the end of the season and just wanted to get, you know, be fresh for these playoffs. 
I think that it's going to be a great style. And one of the first things he said about the on this podcast about the Nuggets um, was just how high potential their offense is. And I think despite the amazing defense we've seen from the Lakers, that offense is the best unit uh, in this series. I don't disagree. You know, the, their potential is higher than the Lakers' potential. But to me, their offensive potential, specifically this upcoming series, is going to weigh heavily on Michael Porter Jr. They need him to space the court and hit those threes, especially on the cross-court passes I'm envisioning here from Jokic. If he's hitting those shots, he's averaging 21 points or so per game in this series. I like the Nuggets' chances. I'm just not betting on that to be the case. Yeah, great call on Porter. He is one of the biggest home and away discrepancy guys you'll see in the league. Uh, he's basically like 50% from three at home and you know low to mid-30s on the road. A completely different guy. Uh, so he's going to need to step up in big moments, especially uh, to your earlier LeBron point uh, on the defensive end, uh, just following the scheme and things. He's one of the biggest guys that Michael Malone's always riding on to kind of improve his defense and it gets there in spurts, but he also has some lulls as well. So, uh, Michael Porter, a huge swing guy for the series for sure. But like I said, I just can't wait for that series to start. Yeah. It's going to be spectacular. You said you're taking the nuggets in five. I might take the Lakers in six. That's my bet here. All right. We got completely opposite ends there. That's going to be interesting. Uh, but if we head up to the East, the Heat took down the Knicks last night, 96-92 uh, in Game 6. They win the series 4-2 as well. Um, you know, I, I think for the Knicks, people are almost coming off disappointed in the Knicks. But it's like, this is what happens when a five seed makes the second round. I think people just got the wrong idea because the opponent was the eighth-seeded Heat instead of the one-seeded Bucks. But the Heat have way more experience. and the Knicks are just, you know, a good, a good team. They're not like, a, you wouldn't expect them going in to advance past the second round. So uh, definitely a disappointing game six for the Knicks. Uh, R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle both had horrible shooting nights and pretty bad series overall. But I'm not like overly surprised that the Heat uh, were able to take this one down in six. No, I'm not either, um, especially at home in Miami. You know, the Heat's chemistry right now is is at an all-time high for this season. You know, they've looked the best they possibly can. Uh, they've revitalized Duncan Robinson, who was a complete no-show all season long, and all of a sudden now he's that same lethal three-point shooter <laughs> that we've, you know, become accustomed to seeing. Um, they're getting great contribution from uh, numerous role players. The one guy I got to shout out for them is Caleb Martin. Every time I watch the Miami Heat, he's everywhere on the court for them. Offensively, defensively, you know, stretching the court with threes, driving the paint for some massive slams. Um, he has really elevated his game and I think truly allowed um, some of the other players to, to take a breather. You know, whether that's Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo or obviously Kyle Lowry. Uh, but the Heat, they're playing exceptional ball right now. You know, their mojo is is looking strong and you talked about the Knicks their weakness in this postseason was just their pace they played with a very slow pace and their one speedster 
Emmanuel quickly, they lost midway through this series. So they didn't have the ability mm. to change that pace. It was slow the whole time. And especially late in this series, I'm sure you saw as well. It was Jalen Brunson trying to play superhero and carry this team. I don't think any player upped their stock this year more than Jalen Brunson did. Yeah, great point on Emmanuel quickly. I mean, he was second in sixth man of the year. So obviously a very important player for the Knicks, who actually had one of the top offenses in the league this year before getting just completely stymied by these heat in the series. But absolutely agree. Jalen Brunson was awesome. And uh, even Eric Spolstra after the game last night couldn't stop talking about like how impressed he was by Jalen Brunson and his competitiveness and his composure in the playoffs and just all of his just great performance. If it wasn't for Brunson the last two games, uh, th- this you know would have been a much easier series for the Heat. Uh, he basically was the only thing they had going um, offensively last night. Unfortunately, he missed Hart. Uh, should have passed it to him late. Hart was open for three or even a swing. Uh, Brunson turns it over late instead, which kind of sealed the game. But overall, he was great in the game and really the only reason they were even in it in the first place. Yeah, they couldn't have asked for anything more from Jalen Brunson. Uh, what an offseason addition he was for this Knicks team and, and franchise. Completely changed the culture, completely changed the trajectory for this team going forward. And I posed this question to you last week, and I'm going to throw it again out this week. Of the eliminated teams so far in the second round, you know, that being (laughs) the Knicks, the Suns, and the Warriors, which team do you feel most confident in as we go into next year? Uh, I I think I'm going to go with the Suns. Um, I had a lot of negative things right there to say about the Suns, and I think that they have a huge offseason coming up. But what we did learn in this playoffs was that Devin Booker is one of those dudes. And when you have one of those guys, you're in a great spot. Obviously, the Warriors have Curry, which is great, but they have a ton of different questions going on uh, that we kind of outlined. I think the Suns, they start with Booker. They start with Durant. If they could make a DeAndre Ayton trade, uh, as you had kind of proposed, that would be a great move as well. And then... Overall, I think people are just going to want to sign with them uh, on the kind of of the bargain barrel free agents. Um, they're going to want to sign with the Suns to play with Booker and Durant because one, a lot of players have Durant as like one of their favorite players, you know, growing up or just, you know, as a kind of a friendly guy. But two, you mentioned how the backup bigs even were able to get easy shots. Landry Shamit was able to get easy shots. I mean, Torrey Craig in the first round was just living on wide open corner threes. It's an easy job to play with these two guys. So I think they're going to have a nice off season of fringe moves. And that's why I kind of feel a lot better about them going into next season. Um, to go along with Aiden, I am extremely interested in the Chris Paul situation. Um, I I feel like that non that half guaranteed deal he's got almost makes it more likely that he's going to be traded. Uh, I don't know. How do you feel about that? I I honestly feel that both these players are probably going to be off the Suns as we move to next season. I think there's um, so you know touching on the Suns here. To me, 
I don't feel as confident about them moving to next season. I don't like the chemistry at all with this team, with the coaching staff, with the organization. There's a lot of chemistry issues with this Phoenix Suns team. Um, With all that being said, you talk about a lot of fringe moves. They have the two stud players, which can take you extremely far, as it did this year. But a lot of those fringe moves, I'm worried that some of those are going to be, let's say, lily pads, to where they might sink, they might not be stable, and they might not work out. That's a big question for me for the Suns. Similarly to the Warriors, there's just a lot of drama around this team right now. Yeah. I don't know their true direction with the ownership group, uh, with the GM, and are there going to be any bigger trades? So for all those reasons said, I like the Knicks. If I'm looking at a team I'm most confident in, um, I think that, as I mentioned prior, there's a blueprint for this team. They have the trust of Coach Tibbs. Uh, There's an aggression this team plays with, um, you know, a force that this team plays with. I think there's going to be some more internal growth with this roster. Hopefully, R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes. They might make uh, one or two fringe moves uh, versus the Suns, which almost have to do a full roster revamp. For those reasons said, I like the Knicks as a team I feel most confident in uh, as we look towards next year. Shout out to Grimes and Brunson, both playing 48 minutes in the same game. (laughs) So much Tom Thibodeau going on. Um, But when you say you're most confident in the Knicks, like they're the five seed this year. I kind of envision them as a similar team next year. What's what's your kind of like ceiling trajectory that you're kind of saying that they're your most confident of these teams? Well, honestly, I think next year they could get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I would not be surprised if they're in the Eastern Conference Finals next year. I think if they get a little more ball handling help or if they just had Emmanuel quickly um, to assist you know, Brunson, uh, maybe they move off Obi Toppin this year and get a, a better stretch big. Um, I just like some of the pieces. Their, their defensive strength um, I found very enticing. I think that can win you a lot of games. I think they just need to find a way to speed up their roster. But if we look at the Suns, I don't envision them getting past the second round next year. Like That's their ceiling. Um, I really worry about the longevity with injuries, as you talked about, with Durant. That's a big concern for me. We've seen the same thing with Devin Booker. Um, he had some major I- injuries this year where he missed you know, months on end. So if either of those two guys go out and they do trade away Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, they're not going to be a top four seed in the Western Conference. It's interesting, man. I uh, I think top four seed, I would I would put them in there. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's going to be – those are all three interesting teams to watch because we could see moves from, from all three. I, a lot of fans are kind of done with Julius Randle for the Knicks. That could be a trade uh, that they could make. Um, I, I'm not sure what his value would be, but – um, later, we're going to talk about All-NBA real quick, and uh, he did make third-team All-NBA, so he had a great season. Um, he might, he should have some kind of value, and you know, maybe if they get a couple role guys or maybe better-fitting pieces uh, for him, that could be uh, a boost for them as well. But like I said, they're pretty young. R.J. Barrett, Quentin Grimes, 
Uh, definitely some some promise there to grow. Obi Toppin uh, showed some uh, good moments this year, so uh, they're gonna be they're gonna be at least be solid again next year, and um, a lot more to come from them. Um, as we finish the second round series tomorrow, Sunday will be the final game of the second round. That's the Celtics Sixers, the only series going to seven games. It's really shocking because it looked like we were on pace for four seven-game series uh, on Sunday, potentially. You know, all these second-rounders looking like it was inevitable that they were going to go down to seven. I have no clue how this series is going to play out. Uh, I'm more confused on this 76ers-Celtics battle than any of the other series that I've watched here in the second round. Um, It just seems like neither team can figure out what they want to do. Uh, They look good in one game, and then they don't continue that same trend in the next game. Guys show up for one game, and they completely disappear in the next game. So there's a tremendous amount of inconsistency. The one thing that we do know, which makes me lean towards the Boston Celtics, is that they have a tremendous home court advantage out there in Boston. And that is one of the most difficult arenas to play in as an opposing team in the association. So with all of that being said, I'm leaning towards the Celtics coming out of this series. And if that's the case, Celtics Lakers in the NBA finals, that's sort of what I'm envisioning right now. Okay. You got to calm down. First of all, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, I, I agree with you on the Celtics. I think uh, so that they open up as seven to seven and a half point favorites here in game seven. And, it's it's what a weird series this has been. So game one, the Sixers steal it without Embiid, and you're like, oh man, what's going on here? And then the Celtics win the next two. Uh, but game five, the six when the Sixers took the three two lead in Boston, the Sixers kind of dominated that game. They beat them down. The absolute, pretty much a perfect offensive game from the Sixers in game five. Poor defense, poor effort by the Celtics game five. And then uh, last night's, our last game's game six. So the Celtics take that huge lead early and it's like, oh man, this could be an easy one for the Celtics. The Sixers storm back, take control, take a small lead. Jason Tatum having a one for 13 game through three quarters. It's like, oh man, this is one of those games. They're going to get eliminated and this is going to be on his record for his whole career. This is one that we're going to remember as like an all-time performance, uh, you know, let down performance by Tatum. But instead he hits four threes in the fourth, which helps seal the game for the Celtics. Shocking turnaround. And the Sixers, they score only three points in the last five minutes, 25 seconds of the game. So it's like, what the hell happened to them after that offensive outburst in game five? Um, Marcus Smart had an awesome game, 22 points, seven rebounds, seven assists in game six. And the one big change was the Celtics starting Robert Williams alongside Al Horford in this one, which clearly contributed defensively for them. Obviously, they're going to do that again in game seven, I'm sure. But just what a change up from that confidence boosting game five for the Sixers to just a horrible lad down game in game six. And I think that's the big reason why the spread is extended to seven plus uh, in game seven right now. Yeah, and that's the 
that was the thing. You know, the 76ers win game five. You're like, they're going home. They're going to close this out. Man, they stole a huge momentum in that game five victory. And then they just let go of the rope there in that fourth quarter. Uh, like you mentioned, they had to held Jason Tatum to a very poor performance, but he showed up. Um, that's the difference between young players, stars, and superstars. You know, if young players have a bad first quarter or first half, they're having a bad game. You know, stars might have a bad first half, but have a good second half. Superstars can have a bad three quarters and just absolutely turn it on in clutch time, in winning time. And that's exactly what Jason Tatum did here for his Boston Celtics. I, like I said, I'm picking the Celtics here in game seven, not only for the home court advantage, but also because Doc Rivers is the coach of the 76ers. And I do not trust Doc Rivers to be a winning, productive, intelligent coach in a game seven. Is he better than Missoula? I think in this matchup, I would rather have Missoula than Doc Rivers. I lost you. You said you would rather have Doc Rivers here in game seven than Joe Missoula. That's what you're thinking? I mean, I don't. I mean, he has more experience, at least. Experience at losing and choking. <laughs> he, I mean, he, I just he, don't. I don't trust Doc Rivers. I think there's been too many instances where we have seen him stumble and fall and let down his own roster. I don't envision seeing anything else than what we've seen prior from Doc Rivers in his career. I believe I saw a stat. I, I hope I get this right. He has four more Game 7 losses than any other coach in the league. We're about to make that five. (laughs) So what's interesting, too, I looked at the NBA title odds. The Celtics are favorites for the title before they even have won this Game 7. They're still favored over both the Nuggets, then the Lakers. The Sixers are fourth in title favorites. So... Really interesting that despite them not even having this series closed out, they're still the favorites for the title. It is. But um, that just shows that whoever comes out of this series, as we've talked about, is the clear-cut favorite in the Eastern Conference. Um, The odds bettors are obviously overlooking the Miami Heat as a true competitor to come out of the East. I wouldn't do that. If I was either the 76ers or Celtics, uh, we know how competitive Jimmy Butler is, how great of a coach Eric Spolstra is. It's not going to be an easy cakewalk to make it to the NBA Finals out of the Eastern Conference. I agree. And we we probably have shortchanged the heat in this discussion because we talked about the Knicks a bunch. But Jimmy Butler, like we talked about last week, has had an awesome playoffs. He had a he averaged 25 points seven rebounds, six assists in this series against the Knicks. Bam Adebayo finally kind of turned this thing on, 19 and 10 on the series. And you mentioned uh, Caleb Martin, who was awesome. Kyle Lowry, who was basically nobody in the regular season, has been excellent in these playoffs. And then um, Gabe Vincent has been excellent as well. So uh, the, the Heat are playing very good ball, playing old school extremely tough, strong, defensive basketball, and um, they're not going to be an easy opponent. I, I, they're, for good reason, you know, deeply the fifth favorite out of five, but it, they're not some cakewalk team. 
No, definitely not a cakewalk team. But what's your prediction? You're sliding out here. Who are you picking? 76ers I, or Celtics? I, I think I am picking the Celtics, but I have like this uh, inkling fear that like, what if Embiid has this amazing game seven? Uh, you know, he's, it's his MVP year. Uh, if if it's going to happen, it's going to be an Embiid performance. But I think the Celtics, when I went into the series, I was kind of confident in the Celtics winning it. Uh, I think this letdown of game six was huge for the Sixers, especially at home. So you mentioned that Boston crowd, game seven, better overall roster, in my opinion, uh, for the Celtics and the better defense. I, I think I am going to lean Celtics, but I, I, I wouldn't um, be shocked about some major Embiid performance. I wouldn't either. You know, Embiid loves the spotlight. He loves uh, the hostility from the opposing crowd. If the 76ers do find a way to win this game, I will say I will be rooting for a Philadelphia 76ers versus Denver Nuggets NBA Finals. I would love nothing more than to see Joel Embiid go toe-to-toe with Nikola Jokic. I think that would be an epic storyline here for the NBA. It would be perfect, wouldn't it? I mean, the last three years, the two top guys in MVP— and they're in different conferences, so they don't play all that often. It would just, it would be awesome. It would just be so cool. Such a, one of like the most ideal matchups we could possibly get. It really would be. So no matter what happens in this 76ers Celtics game seven, there are a bunch of storylines that can be brewed up here for the media just to get us all hyped for the conference finals and the NBA finals. Like you said, we have games every other night next week. I'll be watching every day. I can't wait for it. We have some very, very upper echelon basketball ahead of us. Man, you know I'm hyped. I'm excited, man. So a couple things uh, just to close out this podcast, some kind of news, some um, so there are a couple of different things to discuss. I This this playoffs has been awesome. I uh, can't wait for the next games, but um, we had talked about it, and you were, you've been on this for, for years, actually, but uh, Mike Budenholzer uh, was fired from the Bucks. Uh, any, any quick thoughts on that? Well, and we, we saw what had happened. I had agreed with the call. Um, I'm happy this happened. I know Giannis Antetokounmpo, standing behind his prior coach, is supposedly furious about this decision from the front office, but no. For, for the organizational sake, this is the right move. This was the time to do it. There's no better opportunity to let go of the coach in a very disappointing first-round loss. The question is now just who are they going to bring in? Um, they are taking their time, as they're saying, to identify a potential fit. But I haven't heard any clear-cut uh, favorites at this point. I know you and me have rumored Nick Nurse, who should be. Uh, the candidate and who should be the future head coach. But I haven't even heard rumors of them uh, securing an interview with him as of yet. So we're going to see. I don't know if we'll actually hear anything prior to the NBA finals about, you know, a future coach for this team. It might leak all the way into the off season. This has to be the best news possible right now for the Milwaukee Bucks and the Bucks fans. It's time. It's been time. I'm glad this finally happened. 
Yeah, I, I think it is going to be good news, but only if they get the right candidate. And we've been on the Nick Nurse thing. I don't understand why this isn't happening. And it doesn't seem like it's going to. Like the, so For some reason, they're just not meshing with Nurse and the Bucks. The, the candidates that have come out so far have been Scott Brooks, James Borrego, which like that can't be possible. And then Kenny Atkinson, I could see that one. Um, and then Adrian Griffin, who's kind of been uh, rumored for a job for years. Those have been the early names. Uh, any of those stand out to you or do you still think it's going to be somebody else? I mean, any of those names, if any of them get the position, it just seems like a letdown. They need someone with a higher profile, in my opinion, than either a first-time head coach or, you know, Kenny Atkinson, who's probably the best of all those candidates, in my opinion. Um, the, it just doesn't seem enough. It just doesn't seem like a, a large enough uh, move to let go of your coach and then not bring in the clear-cut, at least in both of our eyes, number one candidate being Nick Nurse. Uh, to me, that's what needs to happen. They need to find a way to make it happen. I don't feel confident in any of the names that we've heard escape into the rumors so far. I agree with you. Uh, definitely going to be interesting to watch that position uh, and how they fill that one. Uh, as we move on, uh, the All-NBA teams did get announced. Uh, I'll just run through them real quick, and you can give me your thoughts. Um, first team All-NBA, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid. Second uh, second team All-NBA, Steph Curry, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brown, Jimmy Butler, Nikola Jokic. Third team All-NBA, De'Aaron Fox, Damian Lillard, LeBron James, Julius Randle, DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, any, any initial thoughts on those? Well, to me, the first one is Shea Gildress-Alexander. Big congratulations to him getting a first team All-NBA nod. That's spectacular. Uh, we know how well of a season he had, uh, but to to get the first team All NBA slot as a guard, that's a big shout out for him. Uh, I believe he's still only 24, 25 years old, so very, very young. He could be securing this All NBA uh, first team spot for some time. Um, the other one I think was was a nice add for him this year was Jalen Brown. Huge implications for him with his contract to secure that All-NBA nod. Um, he's talking about major max extension dollars that he's eligible for. You know, it's going to be a big question for the Celtics. Are they going to be able to pay Tatum and Brown? You know, is this a way that maybe they have to move off uh, likely Jalen Brown going into the future? So that's going to be interesting to see. Um, and then obviously the two Kings players. De'Aaron Fox, Demonis Sabonis, huge congratulations to both of them. Uh, I I feel both were extremely deserving with how well they played, you know, how strong of a regular season the Kings organization had. Um, but if we look at a few of these guys, especially as we look towards the future uh, with the new CBA rules to where there are the 65-game minimum requirements to be played in order to make an All-NBA roster, Five players of these 15 would not have been eligible for this All-NBA nod. Uh, you're looking at Giannis Antetokounmpo, who only played 63 games. Steph Curry only played 56 games. Jimmy Butler, 64 games. So he would have been that, that one shy. 
but also then Damian Lillard and LeBron James. So you would have had five of these 15 players that would have been non-eligible, and we would have had a five new players uh, if, you know, if that was the case in the new CBA. This is going to be something really interesting as we look into next year. Yeah, I'm very interested to watch how that plays out. Um, I thought overall these teams, like the, the 15 guys that they ended on were were pretty solid. Uh, I thought Luka Doncic shouldn't have been a first teamer if they missed the playoffs. Uh, I thought he should have been second team, probably put Donovan Mitchell first team. Um, but next year they're going to start doing the non-positions. So that would have put Jokic easily on the first team, for instance. Uh, that's going to change things a lot as well. Um, Julius Randle and LeBron versus versus Anthony Davis and Lowry Markkinen, those could have been argued. Uh, Damian Lillard over John Morant and Drew Holiday and Jalen Brunson could have been argued uh, just because of team success. But Lillard had an awesome season. Uh, Randle had a better team than like Markkinen, for instance. Randle took the the Knicks to the fifth seed. Markkinen, they missed the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, to your point, that 65 games, I'm wondering how upset we're going to be, though, if if all of a sudden Pascal Siakam or Bam Adebayo makes this all-NBA squad versus, versus uh, Le- you know, LeBron James and Damian Lillard, like you said, for instance. Uh, it, c- it, could, it could make up for a few weak spots on the all-NBA teams, but I... Do you think it'll come into a more motivational um, role, especially as the late the later the season goes on and people start seeing like, OK, I got to play, you know, 10 out of these last 11 games or whatever. Um, Lillard, partially his games were down because they tanked the end of the season. So I think he missed like six free games there. So that may be those games he would have played instead, for instance. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think overall I, I'm relatively happy with this all nba um I, I yeah i think Doncic actually might be my biggest gripe uh being on the first team i mean i i don't disagree with you um Doncic has an incredible season you know number two scorer in the nba so hard to argue with where he's at um but you're right this this new cba rule the 65 game minimum games played it's gonna be I think it's the NBA's way of trying to to limit these these load management type games. You know, to I wouldn't say to force players to play or organizations to you know encourage their players to play, but it's going to be something to watch. It's going to be really intriguing. And you know what? We might not ever see LeBron James make another All NBA team uh, with the injury concerns he's had the last couple years. He might not ever hit that sixty five game mark again. So this might be. Just throwing it out there, the last time we see LeBron James in an all-NBA roster. It's possible. Uh, I think he's now at the point where he has three more all-NBAs than anyone else in history. So he's got his own share. But, um, yeah, definitely. He was maybe one of the last people on the team, if not the last um, this season. I feel like a a lot of it due to the missed games. Um, So definitely something to watch. Anthony Davis and John Morant, I thought, were the two best um, players left off, but they both had the missed games. John Morant had the off-court stuff. Uh, And then Lowry Markkinen, he was the most improved player. 
Uh, like I said, him and Randall had pretty similar se- seasons, but more of a team success thing for him. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be um, some guys that are really close. You know, Jalen Brunson was probably one who, like you mentioned, I probably would have uh, put above Damian Lillard on on this roster. But, you know, looking at next year, we have four or five guys that we could have slotted in. So I don't think we're going to be as upset as you think we might be. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And one of the first guys off, and he would have been a solid candidate, was Drew Holiday. He just won teammate of the year for the second straight year and the third time in four years. This guy's the the teammate of all time, Drew Holiday. I mean, I don't know what the criteria is for a teammate of the year, but uh, obviously he knows what he's doing. He's got the ears of the voters uh, to continue to throw votes his way. So I don't know if um, he's handing out goodie bags or or what he's doing <laughs> up there. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I, it doesn't seem like an award you'd win multiple times, but that's his third. Pretty impressive. Uh, and then all defense was announced as well. Um, first team all defense, Alex Caruso, Drew Holiday, Jaron Jackson, Brooke Lopez, and Evan Mobley. And second team all defense was Derek White, Dylan Brooks, OG Ananobi, Draymond Green, and Bam Adebayo. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with any of these players, but I have a few gripes about some guys that were snubbed. Um, where's Lou Dort? I think Lou Dort deserves to be on an all-defensive team. Um, I think he's absolutely deserving of, of a nod. Um, what about your boy Jaden McDaniels? He's statistically guarded the most difficult players, the superstar players, all year long, and he didn't make the roster. I'm a little bummed about that. And then obviously I think Herb Jones, you know, he's maybe third on the list of snubs that uh, could have potentially made it. But there's a few snubs. I think Lou Dort and Jane McDaniels definitely deserved to be on uh, an all defensive team. You know, maybe I kick off uh, Derek White. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little more sour on this um, all defensive list. I I agree. I thought Jaden McDaniels was going to get it for sure. Um, and he actually was the second forward or or big off oh no they do forwards and center so he was the second forward off um actually behind Giannis who who was the uh had the most votes of anyone that didn't make the all defense teams was Giannis so uh Jaden McDaniels I thought was going to be on there he misses it and then your boy Dort fifth on the guard list, it was Marcus Smart and Mikhail Bridges were the next guys off. Jimmy Butler, Herb Jones, and then Dort. So uh, some questionable uh, decisions there, I agree. Uh, Nick Claxton would have been deserving. He was the first center left off. Um, but, you know, like you said, not a whole lot of surprising names on here. I mean, the the first team was the, the, the top three defensive player of the year guys were there. So that was kind of set in stone. And then you can't argue with Caruso and Holiday. Well, I think my bigger question is here. It's just the whole process. We have three all NBA teams. Why do we only have two all defensive teams? Why is there not a third team all defense? That's my question here. Like, why did that get limited to only 10 guys? But we have 15 all NBA guys. I think we needed to add an, a third team all NBA defense. I would like that, man. I, the more we can get, the better. I mean, so if we just do the votes, 
third team all defense would have been Marcus Smart, Mikhail Bridges, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jaden McDaniels, and Nick Claxton. I that would have been that would have been a nice team to have. I think so. So I think this is a larger issue we need to take up with the NBA as a whole. So I'll leave that to you to email them. I'll work on it. Me and uh, me and Jeff Van Gundy. I'll talk to the league. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny actually. You said that because I was reading this kind of. It was kind of like a joke article, but they were talking about how they made the third team uh, all NBA when there was significantly less players in the league. So they're like, why don't we extend it out? And they're, they're, it was a joke to get to like eight All-NBA teams, but why can't we have like five All-NBA teams? I mean, I would I would want to know who's on fifth team All-NBA, wouldn't you? Uh, I mean, that might be a stretch at that point. Uh, otherwise, that's like a participation award uh, <laughs> if we get to that far. But I, I really do think there should be a third team All-Defense. I don't understand how we have a third team All-NBA but not a third team all defense. That just doesn't make sense to me. I agree with you. Um, last thing for me on this one, the NBA draft lottery is coming up on Tuesday. This is one of the biggest lotteries we've had in years. Of course, the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes, the brick for Vic, the trauma for Wembanyama. So I wanted to kind of have a little fun with like a mini draft about where you want him to go. So uh, quick odds here. Um, the Pistons, Rockets, and Spurs all have the most likely odds, followed by the Hornets, Blazers, and Magic. And then rounding out the top 10, we have the Pacers, Wizards, Jazz, and Mavericks um, before the, the, the very unlikely teams are the Bulls, Thunder, Raptors, and Pelicans. So if you're picking first pick on where you want them to go, let's try to stay on the more likely side. What do you think? I'm going to give two two votes here. So if I'm going to go with the most likely, let's say those bottom three teams, Pistons, Rockets, um, and I can't even think of the Spurs. I would rather see him on the Rockets of all of those three teams. I think that would be a very fun roster for him to be added to. Him and Shangoon would be a very sweet front court to go along with some of their other young pieces, Jabari Parker, or I mean Jabari Smith, um, <laughs> you know, uh, and the rest of the crew. But if I'm picking slightly outside of that, to me, the funnest destination for him to land, that's got to be the Hornets. You pair him with LaMelo Ball, oh my God, that's must-watch basketball. You pair that with their announcing team, that is some spectacular NBA basketball, league pass basketball to watch. So if I'm rooting for a slight dark horse, it's the Charlotte Hornets. I agree with you on Houston. Yeah, Eric Reed on the Hornets broadcast, Wambinyama! He would be going absolutely insane. Uh, I, I don't want the Blazers. I active. I really don't want the Spurs. I I don't really want the Pistons either because the Pistons have like a thousand bigs. Yep. Um, Magic would be cool to pair with Palo. Uh, then if we go a little deeper, the Mavericks would obviously be like amazing if he's paired with Doncic. Uh, don't want him to go to Indiana, Washington, or Utah. And then. If 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 we're gonna do the less than two percent teams, 
all of these would be cool. Bulls, Thunder, Raptors, or Pelicans. I let's just get the Twin Towers. Uh, the, the the 12th best odds, the Thunder. Him and Chet Holmgren can just partner up with first team All NBA Shea Gilgis, and let's go for a title in year one. They really could go for a title in year one. I mean, if you're drafting an NBA 2K team, that's where you want them to go, uh, you know, build for the future. Uh, that would be sweet to see, highly unlikely. But like you said, Tuesday night is not even as important about the actual games being played. It's about the lottery odds because this is going to change someone's franchise immediately because it's a clear cut who the number one pick is. So as soon as that number one pick is determined, we already know where Victor Wembanyama is going. Those fans are going ballistic. They're selling jerseys immediately. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really excited for this on Tuesday. So um, looking forward to seeing that. But game seven tomorrow night. Second uh, or conference finals start Tuesday. Man, I can't wait. I'm having so much fun. It's a blast. I'm uh, not going to lie. I'm, I'm happy that it's going to be one game a night every, uh, you know, every day. <laughs> we can catch up and really focus on these games and, and you know, hunker into a little more of the X's and O's and, and really dive into these final four teams. But man, we're about there. Final four teams here in the NBA. What a season. What a season. So, uh, everyone, thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the MSNBA pod and on Instagram at Moving Screen NBA.